Imagine knowing exactly what your students are learning and exactly which steps you need to take next. Join us in Down With The Reading Quiz to craft meaningful and productive formative assessments that move away from gotcha moments of basic recall and toward assessing what your students actually can do. In this 30-minute free masterclass, we'll share three powerful assessment keys that work for any novel at any time of the year. Head to shop.bravenewteaching.com slash masterclass to sign up, and we'll also send you a free workbook to keep track of all your notes. Once again, that's shop.bravenewteaching.com slash masterclass to nail formative assessments forever. Hey, Amanda. Hey, Marie. What are you up to later? Want to join me for happy hour? I'm all in. And guess what's amazing? Our listeners and friends of the podcast can also join us because Brave New Teaching Happy Hour has officially launched. Cheers. Cheers, everyone. We are officially hanging out a little bit longer after school with an extended extra private podcast feed just for you. Yes. Members of Happy Hour get extra 15 minutes of the podcast, give or take, because you know us, we run a little bit long. It's just kind of how we are. But if you would like to get in on this Happy Hour action, please join us. It is only $5 a month. Head to curriculumrehab.com slash happy hour and get yourself signed up because when you're there, Amanda, tell our friends what we do every month for our Happy Hour members. I think my favorite part is coming up with a new free resource for our listeners every month. And then we pretty much break down that resource and how to use it. We also like to have guests on to do extended episodes and even Q&A that's just for you about that resource. It's really exclusive and super private just for you. So if you are like us and you like hanging out, you like chit-chatting about all things that are teaching, teacher life, and everything under that umbrella, join us for happy hour and we will see you there. Bye. Bye. Well, hello and welcome back to Brave New Teaching. We are so excited to have you here today and we are very, very delighted to bring you an interview with one of our favorite English teachers out there. Her name is Iris Crankfield. Amanda is going to tell you all about her in just a moment, but before we get there, I want to tell you guys that we have something for you. If you head to the show notes or to bravenewteaching.com, you can get your hands on three full weeks, three weeks, you guys, of bell ringers to foster and encourage gratitude in your students and just generally in your classroom. 15 warm-ups, startup class bell ringers. They are rigorous. Some of them are very thought-provoking and even standards tied. So head to bravenewteaching.com or down to the show notes to get your hands on those. And Amanda is going to introduce our wonderful interview today. Hey, Marie. It is my absolute pleasure today to introduce you guys to uh, Iris Crankfield. If you guys have never interacted with Iris on Instagram, we're going to connect you guys on um, there and in our show notes so that you guys can get in touch with her and, um, and work with her. She's such a wonderful and open, collaborative soul. And I just, I'm so filled whenever I talk to her on Instagram. And we just reached out to her this summer and said, hey, let's talk. Because I know you have so much to say. Iris has just just started her 22nd year of teaching. That alone deserves an award. Um, (laughs) She also has awards. Like she's a national board certified teacher. So not only is she NBCT, I always get those letters wrong. She's national board certified. Iris has taught every single grade 
every single level at her school. And she is also the AP Capstone leader. We'll talk a little bit about that in our episode and tell you what AP Capstone is all about. Um, And she sponsors clubs. She does everything from the National Honor Society to get this the Banana Awareness Association. And on a more serious note, Iris is also going to talk to us a little bit about her experience being the only black classroom teacher um, in her school and what that experience has been like for her and her students and policies and other interacting with other teachers in the building. Um, she's a single mom of two boys. Both of her boys are in college. I mean, you guys, Iris has done it all. I know that you will find lots of moments of overlap with her, her story. And I think you're going to be really inspired by the way that she approaches life as a teacher and a mom. Absolutely. And I think the thing that struck me the most talking to Iris when we had this interview is just her awe of her students. I mean, we all know that our students can be absolute knuckleheads, like, and that's putting it lightly. But at the same time, there is this like capacity that they have for intellect that just comes out of nowhere sometimes. And Iris talks about this intellectual exchange between herself and her students when they're talking about content. Um, She also will be talking about a global citizenship course that she has been part of creating and even teaching. And you know what? We're going to stop talking about the interview and let you actually hear the interview. So we cannot wait for you guys to meet Iris yourselves. Let's cue that music and get started. listening to Brave New Teaching, a podcast for educators challenging the status quo. I'm Amanda, and I'm a high school English teacher in Illinois. And I'm Marie, and I'm also a high school English teacher in Southern California. We're so glad you're here. Enjoy the show. Well, hello, everyone. We are so excited to kick off this interview. You guys heard in our intro all about this fabulous educator we are speaking with today. Iris Crankfield is here to talk to us about way more than what I originally had planned on. Um, So Iris, why don't we start off and have you introduce yourself to our listeners? Hey, hello. First, let me say thank you for having me. Um, I'm happy to be here. It's a nice break from... um, coming down from e-learning and turning in grades and handing out yearbooks in the hot sun for two days. <laughs> uh, I am, have been born and raised in Maryland. I'm a teacher in a county that I'm a product of. And um, I actually had a little bit of difficulty taking the job initially because where I teach was my high school rival. Um, so we kind of hated them all the way <laughs> high school. Wow. Like I've been trained to not like this school. And so, um, but I student taught there and just stayed. Um, and so I just finished my 21st year. Um, and I have taught every level of English in every grade, nine through 12. Um, but for the past 10 years, I've been teaching mostly AP Lang, and for the past five years, I've taught AP Capstone. And sometimes they'll weave in an honors English 10 every once in a while. I had three honors English 10 at the start of this year for one semester, and then they took it away, you know. So, but that's my my happy place. I kind of teeter between those three courses right now. So funny. I also teach at a rival high school to my own. It's weird, isn't it? It's, it's odd. I mean, it's been over a decade, right? So you do get over it when you start right, to realize like, 
like, I have been at this school more than three times the amount of time I was at my own high school. (laughs) But then when you tell your students like, oh yeah, I was at such and such school, they go, ew, traitor. And you're like, child, I have been here for so long. Yeah. (laughs) So funny. We had opposite day. And so I wore my senior shirt. Oh my gosh. That's funny. It seemed like a great idea in my (laughs) mind. If you could have seen their faces when I walked in with my senior shirt, they, I mean, they were angry. Like, Isn't said, that oh, funny? Man. Yeah. They're like, oh, where's your loyalty? And you're right, like, it's oh opposite my day. gosh, children. <laughs> oh, the children. Well, speaking of the children, would you tell us a little bit about your, or a lot of it, actually, it's really up to you about your teaching philosophy and just like, what are the fundamentals of your classroom and how you see students learning and... What does that look like for you? I think for me, my philosophy is, you know, I believe in this intellectual exchange. I believe my students have something to offer me. I'm learning from them as well. Even if I'm just learning about who they are, I always feel like they have something to offer me. Um, And I take that and try my best to use what I know about them, what I know about the community we live in, um, in order to help them to grow. I believe if they're willing to be coached, they are going to grow in the time that they're with me. Like I do not take no for an answer. Um, So I have a a reputation for being a tough teacher. Um, And I tell them, you might cry, but I'm going to hold your hand while you cry, you know, and I'm very reflective um, as an educator myself. Like I'm learning constantly, you know, every day. And, you know, I've listened to like some of your older podcasts and you're talking about wanting to get to this happy place where, you know, you, you're like, I, I've mastered it and I can just do this and I don't have uh-huh. to change anything, you know, because that's what we saw our teachers do, I think. Yeah. And oh, yeah. this does not exist. It, no. it just, if you are attempting to really help your students, like there is no happy place of sitting back and handing out something you've been doing year after year after year, you know, even you hope not, right? Like we hope that as each new generation of kiddos comes through, they're changing. Therefore it only makes sense that we adapt. But like you said, it's what we saw our teachers do because that was, that was how it worked. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, I I just feel like it's important to me to hear their voices and make sure that I I let them know they have a voice, you know, and you need to use it. However, you know, if you are not communicating effectively, I don't care what your future plans are, you are not going to be listened to. You're not going to evoke positive change, you know, and I'll use the example of, well, let's say you cure cancer, you know, but you don't capitalize your eyes all the way through your paper, you know, Mm. people may not trust what you're saying. You know, or even if you decide, you know what, AP in college is not for me. I'm going to work at a gas station for the rest of my life. You're going to have to write a sign that's going to have to go on the pump. And people are going to judge your, you know, your penmanship, your grammar, your spelling. So, you know, no matter what you decide to do, you have this responsibility to communicate effectively. And so I kind of operate from that base and, you know, do my best to reach my students where they are with the belief that. I know they are going to grow by the time they leave my class. This is a writing class and you have to be able to write clearly and effectively um, no matter what you decide to do. And I believe they can. 
I, Iris, love I love that so much. I feel like it took me. At, and so I know we've got a lot of people who listen who are like across the spectrum in terms of their teaching years. But I feel like what you're describing is that moment of recognizing that tough love is a very, very important like place to be in as a teacher and in your philosophy, because being tough does not mean being mean or evil or not wanting what's best for your kids. Um, but I feel like culturally in education, we've come to a place we were just talking beforehand is that we need to constantly be supporting. And I have that in air quotes, our students. And I feel like high expectations are a really important form of support. I also don't think that accountability is mean. I think that accountability helps our students become responsible humans, right? Like, and it like helps them become the person that they can and achieve their own totally potential. Yeah. Accountability isn't mean. <laughs> exactly. It, it is, it is interpreted that way though. You oh, know? for sure. And I just, you know, and I think over the years, um, I've learned to kind of be a lawyer because, you know, I have to document everything because I know, yeah. you know, some parents do see accountability as mean or harshness yeah. or you're just so intimidating. You know, oh, and on. it's just, I know, and it's just, you know, <laughs> this is a rule, you know, I am willing to, it's not like I'm, ex- I never expect my students to reach expectations that I haven't literally slowed down and helped them to attain. Like, mm-hmm. I don't do that. And I know some teachers do, you know, um, but I'm going to work with you. So it's really no excuse, you know, to not get this done and to not be successful. I think that's fantastic. And so, okay, I know that this definitely translates. You spoke earlier about your AP experience. I think it'd be wonderful for you to share a little bit about your AP AP teacher experience with people. Um, Lang and Capstone are such different worlds. And I bet you a lot of listeners have never even heard of Capstone unless you're in a school that has Capstone, which doesn't sound to me like a lot of schools are with the program yet. Um, And it's fascinating. Our school does have Capstone and it's like, my Lang students, I mean, between Lang and Capstone, it's their two favorite classes that they've ever had in high school. So I'm kind of curious, I mean, what you see in, in your AP journey, um, the benefits for students, benefits for teachers taking it on and learning the AP way. And then of course, like if there are any blind spots or problematic areas that you're seeing, you know, college board needs to still address. Um, I know that's like three questions loaded into one, but I'm just really curious what you, where you stand with all of that. I can say, honestly, I was hesitant to teach AP from the beginning. Like I really did not want to do it. And I thought, well, why does my department chair want me to do this? You know? Um, but I'm, I'm grateful. It has been one of the best decisions I've ever made. Um, and Capstone, I'm the only Capstone teacher in our entire district. We're the only school that even offers AP Capstone in my district. And the second year of the course, which is an AP research course, is taught by a science teacher. Um, and that really, going to that training five years ago opened my eyes because there were so many things that I felt or believed, assumed, that my AP students came into class knowing. I automatic, I just felt there were certain things that they knew and going through the capstone um, training, I realized, you know what, we say that they know or should know, but there is no teacher explicitly teaching them really how to research and how to assess sources for credibility and how to utilize uh, peer reviewed sources and why they matter so much. Like we think they know they need credible sources, but who's telling them? 
Mm-hmm. Um, so that has been a benefit for me to see uh, what my students don't know and to be able to even impact my AP Lane teaching. Um, on top of that, the benefit of teaching AP in my district anyway is that I'm not confined to the curricular rules. They kind of just leave us alone, you know, <laughs> um, with English, <laughs> and, you know, it's like, well, you have to teach Julius Caesar first and then things fall apart second and grapes are wrath third and things fall apart fourth. Like you have to go in that order no matter what. You can't really deviate from it. But with AP, it's like, you know, whatever do what you want, you know, make sure you're adhering to these minimal county guidelines, but, you know, you can open up your instruction to what you think your students need, which is great. Mm -hmm. Um, For students, I think the biggest benefit is, um, as I kind of already said a little bit, it is a, AP Lang is a writing course. It is an English composition course, and um, they learn really the writing and analysis skills that you need for college. I know we don't do it in 10 and 9. I've taught both. We really don't hold them to a higher standard. Um, And I think for many of my kids, it's the first time they turn in work and you don't just really get an A for kind of doing it right and having it look right. Like your quality of of thought and uh, analytic skill matters. Um, And so even though, even with Capstone and Lang, like I say, you'll cry through it, but you'll be grateful. You know, you will see the difference uh, once you get to college, you're going to be ahead of others and things that stop them, uh, other students from being successful, you won't have those stumbling blocks. And, you know, I use myself as an example, had A's in English all through high school. And when I went to college and turned in my first paper, I got a C. And I cried. I'm like, I can't be an English major. I can't do this. You know, I can't get a C. I can't believe this, you know, because there were things that because I wrote well, um, instinctively, you know, my teachers just kind of passed me along and I didn't learn some of those fundamentals that I make sure my students have, you know, and I share, I'm honest with them about my journey. And I think that that helps as well. And I think that's really good too, just that they can see that you're a person like just because we're teachers and we're adults doesn't mean that we have always had it all figured out, which I think that's something we've talked about on the podcast before, like is a very common misconception of just younger generations looking to the older people around them and being like, well, you guys understand, like, it's easy for you. You guys don't understand how it is for us. And we're like, no, but we do. (laughs) I've been there. I've been there. And I can tell you, I want to help you from my own experience. Kids, that's what we're here for. That's what we're here for. Yeah. Well, and speaking of what we're here for, um, if we can just change gears the tiniest, but still talking about reflective teaching and practice. Um, when you filled out the little form for our interview here, you mentioned that you're the only black classroom teacher at your school. And as we find ourselves entrenched in the Black Lives Matter movement, finally gaining some real traction, it seems, especially in the realm of education, which is where we are all pretty much, you know, waist deep, if not more, (laughs) as we're talking about teaching through the summer. Um, What would you say, as a Black educator, have you seen as been one of the biggest, I don't want to say misconceptions, but the biggest oversights for classroom teaching and curriculum either as an ELA teacher or just in general, what has been one of the biggest oversights when it comes to serving our students? I think, I mean, that's a tough question because, (laughs) you know, um, it's, it's emotional to think about those things and answer them because, you know, like I said, I'm a product of this County and I know what students kind of go through. 
um, which has motivated me. That's why I wanted to be a teacher. I didn't want my students to have some of the same experiences that I had. Mm -hmm. um, and because I'm an AP teacher, um, I probably have on average, maybe if I'm lucky, if it's a good year, I may have five black students. Um, they are not pushed into the AP course at, at my school. If I could, um, what's your breakdown of demographic percentage? Well, we wise? are probably about 90% white. Okay. Um, maybe 95. Um, so it's kind of, you know, reflective somewhat of, of, of what our school looks like. Um, but when I am on my planning period and, you know, in the hallway, the kids I see, I call them lappers, the kids who like lap the halls all period uh -huh. long. <laughs> oh, um, I, know, I know the lappers. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know who they are, right? Uh-huh. Um, the lappers that I see are students of color, always, every day. Yeah. And if they're in the hallway and they're not in class, they are not learning. And I think mm -hmm. the biggest problem for me is that a lot of times um, – Teachers put students of color, black and students of color in a box and it's like they can't do it or I can't relate to them. So let me just get them out of here. So they're at least not a distraction. And I'm just it's just me on the outside. I don't you know, I don't know if that's why, but that's what it appears to be. And, you know, I just had to have this conversation with my staff for the first time after 21 years in the midst of the world being on fire right now about, mm -hmm. you know, they don't have black teachers and the behavioral specialist is black. Um, so if you're in trouble and you go to DMR, you, you're with a black teacher. I said, did you ever think that maybe they're getting in trouble and wanting to leave class so that they can go and be with her? Mm. You know, be, well, like, yeah, be with somebody that they, that looks like them. Yeah, I mean, they can relate shows, to. That makes yeah, sense. It shows that students of color, black students, do better with teachers who look like them. Mm -hmm. um, and so sometimes that's the only connection they have. And, and, you know, you both know that it's really difficult sometimes to establish relationships with students you don't have in class. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I can talk to students of color and, you know, try to help, but they don't really know me. And then sometimes I've been placed in a position in my school to, well, Irish, you help all the black kids, you know, uh, or I'm having trouble with so-and-so. Do you think you could talk? No, you need to talk to them. You're like, you well, that's not my child. So no. <laughs> you know, and so then it's like, well, if I don't say something, if I don't intervene, then what happens to this student, you know, right. and I've had all types of groups, you know, I had a Queens group for, for, for black students and, I started the hip hop team at my school, you know, to try to have a place for them to belong. And I've done all of these things with great intention. But as I look back at it, like the problem is that white teachers are not establishing these relationships. And it's kind of Irish, you're black, Irish deal with the black problem. And I don't even know if it was intentional. You know, I don't, I mean, intentional in that it happened, but like in, in, in that my leadership felt it was a good thing because right. I could relate instead of stepping out of their own bubble yeah. and, and making an effort to establish strong relationships and, you know, recognizing that even though historically we've always said, you know, I don't see color and that's a good thing. You have to, you have to see color because kids learn differently. It's a cultural thing. Um, you know, and, you know, I just, I had a conversation with one of my, my, my work friends and, you know, I was telling her black people we're loud. Sometimes I have nine sisters and we get together <laughs> Oh, it's, 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 like, That's so, so many girls. <laughs> you know, 
know, and it's not, it's not, sometimes we're not, we're not loud because we're being disrespectful. Like we're excited and we're happy and it's just, you know, we're enjoying life and that's just who we are. So just because a student is loud does not mean they deserve a referral to the office for being disrespectful, you know, so get, get to learn your students and and talk to them and and the cultural differences and and find ways to celebrate that and, and not always punish them and send them out of class. Because as soon as you send them out of class and they become the lapper, there's a disconnect that you, I mean, it's, how do you get that back? Because you've already said to that kid, you can't learn. I don't think you can learn. And you know what? You need to get out of here. Right. You've, you've removed their place in your classroom. You've right. said, this is no longer your seat. You need to go. Yeah. Exactly. And it just perpetuates. It's a cycle. And I see it year after year after year. And, you know, I am on the outside because I have not had those conversations with teachers. I'm just going based on what I've seen and what I believe. Um, but I think that has been most hurtful because, you know, students are not learning if they're in the hallway and teachers are not teaching if they are excluding certain students, um, or limiting certain students based on color or anything else. Yeah. Even if it's just behavior, like you were saying, like, even if it's quote unquote, I don't see color, I'm just looking at behavior. Yeah. But that's a whole kid there. That is one whole person that you're looking at one little thing about them, whether it's their behavior, whether it's their, I don't know, a shirt they're wearing. Like, I'm just thinking of different right. reasons that right. kids get kicked anything. out of class, right? Or a hat or yes, earbuds, Yes. Or... And it's just taking into account the fact that that's a whole, well, it goes back to what you were saying about your teaching philosophy of there being an exchange, right? I think you called right. it an intellectual exchange. I think that's what I wrote in my notes because yeah. I loved that quote so much. Um, but the idea of letting yourself get to know your your students who are in your classroom right now, not the kids that you had 10 years ago, not the kids you had two years ago, but these actual kids getting to know them as people and not as like caricatures of kids. Exactly. In order to establish that community and that rapport. And that's everything. Yeah. yeah. And it's just, you know, it's overwhelming. It's, it's heavy. And, you know, like I said, I don't think you're a good teacher if you just stop and say, oh, I'm done. Like I perfected this. Like, yeah. Things have yeah. changed so much. You know, the skills are the same. Your introduction needs this, this, and this, always. I don't care what you're writing for, but how you get them to be able to include that this, this, and this is, is different for each kid, and you have to try. And I know it's hard work. I know it is. It's, it's not easy, um, but you have to be committed to that if you've decided to be an educator. It's just it's what we signed up for. So, you know, you either do it or get out at this point, you know. Speaking of accountability, right? If we're going right, to hold exactly. our kids accountable, then we need, to be accountable. we need to be accountable. And it's okay to mess up sometimes as long as you can be accountable. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I was listening to you talk about all of this has got me thinking, like actually rethinking a little bit of our conversation earlier and thinking about the world on fire. And I'm, <laughs> I'm hoping I genuinely, and I remember when, when COVID first came down and we first started closing schools, I remember thinking like, I hope this finally forces some teachers to do some reflecting and make some change. And at that time I was thinking about like, you should be using Google classroom. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, Small step, lighter <laughs> end of the spectrum. But I, I feel like as I'm picturing worst case scenarios, best case scenarios, all scenarios are pretty much worst case scenarios right now. But 
but I feel like maybe, and I'm hoping that not only has, have conversations like these opened up, but I hope that they're translating into getting to know our students differently and providing different ways for them to learn remotely. Like I, even in like the tiniest moments, I know that I connected with different students during distance learning than I did in my physical classroom. And I wonder, I mean, I'm in a lot of, a lot of, problems I had beforehand perpetuated themselves into distance learning as well. So it's not going to fix everything necessarily, but I do hope that, you know, this, uh, like, oh, there's a mindset shift and there's like a, a different approach to understanding how our kids learn aside from classroom behavior, because like you're saying, behaviors are, they're culturally connected. You know, you can't, a student's behavior is connected to their culture, their personality, like so many of those things that I wonder, even though this distance sucks on so many levels, I wonder how we can use it to help us understand the learning process and helping our kids as individuals better than we had been doing before. Well said, agreed. And and I learned a lot, especially with the social emotional component, um, because you think you're addressing social emotional needs, but you know, just doing the weekly attendance questions, which I'd seen floating around Instagram, but had never done before until e-learning. And I mean, I'm sharing like the Google meets are overwhelming. You know, I can't handle the Google meets. So you know what? I stopped having them for a while. I was like, look guys, you know, just turn in this and, you know, answer the the weekly attendance question. So I know you're checked in, but you do not have to have a Google meet unless you really need to talk to me. Mm -hmm. And I mean, several of my students, I have 115 AP Lang students. um, They were writing to me exactly. They were writing to me about, um, you know, thank you so much. You know, that means a lot. You're the only person who slowed down a bit. It's just all, it's, it's too much to do everything. And when my notifications go off, like, you know, my stomach hurts and, you know, and these are conversations I would not have had, you know, or, or things I would not have thought about prior to e-learning, you know, and it, it's the whole child and it's, it's a yeah. lot of work. I know it's a lot of work. I know it is. I know we're underpaid. I know we're undervalued, but when you sign up for this, if you are really an educator, like you signed up for this. Suck it up. Yeah. You need somebody, you know, and and that's why I do AP grading is very difficult, but I think teachers, we need those humbling moments in order to remind ourselves of what our students go through. And to speak to what you were saying, Amanda, I think this experience hopefully prayerfully humbled us enough to feel what our students have felt you know, or how they feel when they walk into our classroom if English is not their thing. So I I think some good things could come out of it. Like, I do believe that. I hope so. I know. I really do. Thank you for sharing. I know that was an emotional, you know, experience, but I I really think it was so helpful to hear it um, and for us to process it and move forward. But um, so we originally contacted you to talk about this course and now we're finally getting to it. And I'm like so (laughs) excited to hear about it. Um, Tell us about your global citizenship course and like, what does curriculum mapping and planning look like for you? Okay, well, the global, some backstory on it, the global citizenship course was born uh, because we had some racial incidents and problems. Like throughout our county, we had them quite a bit, unfortunately. Um, 
our school, even during this e-learning, a kid had posted some really racially charged things. I don't even know what, I don't even want to know because yeah. um, I just couldn't handle it. Yep. And so um, this course was born out of some problems that a high school was having. And so um, the goal of the course is to really create, you know, or, or, or help students to feel as if they are stakeholders in their community um, and to look at things on a local, national, global level and, and how their voice is important to evoking change. And so what's cool about the course is that um, we have these topics that have to be covered, like cultural intelligence and leadership and community building are really the three big arches, but how we go about incorporating or building lessons into that is really based upon your school community and our signature program. Each school has a signature um, where students can be certified in whatever that is. And ours is global communications and public affairs. So it married very well. Like, so I think my high school is agriculture or something. So it depends on the school and the area. Um, so all of our lessons and community building and cultural intelligence and leadership um, have to connect to global communications and public affairs, which is great because it's a natural fit. Um, so what has been tough about writing the curriculum is that our school, my high school, was the only school that had pushback from parents in instituting this course last year. Last year was the first year that we had it. And so there was this anonymous parent group letter that surfaced. Uh. Um, that was on the news from the parents in our community that they did not want us telling their kids what to think. Um, and so, you know, the county had to go on record and say, we're not telling them what to think. We're telling them how to think and to think outside the box. And this letter only proves even more so <laughs> that we need to have this class, right? Um, so when our school was first taking on this project, I went to a meeting and, you know, my administration really wanted me to teach it. And I'm thinking, no, like I'm not coming in to be the black savior once again. Right. Issues like I'm not doing it. Okay, I, I can only imagine from your standpoint, the optics, the optics you know, of that. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just not, you know, I'm 21 years in. I don't need that drama in my life. Like I just, <laughs> if parents are already complaining about it, I just... I can't do it. I don't want to anymore. I have fought this battle every year since I've been here. Um, and so when the opportunity came to help with the curriculum, though, you know, I did because as much as I don't like being put in that position, like I am the one black teacher who has stayed at the school. I am a product of this community. Like who better yeah. to do some yeah, of this yeah. work, you know? So the tough part has been making these lessons palatable for the community that we serve. Um, and the, an so, the anonymous letter community. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. Um, so, and not all of us, you know, and it's not like that, like my students are great, you know, so I'm hoping mm -hmm. I'm not painting this picture of, you know, Oh this, no. Oh, no. I, I'd say, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I get it. And like, okay. And I guarantee you that our, because even just like fundamentally as teachers, we run into so much red tape yep. and then you get into different communities and different community makeups and you run into different types of red the tape. Pushback I and yeah. I think just fundamentally, like that's something that translates very well. Yeah. Okay. okay good. Cause you know, and I love, I love my school, you know, I love my kids. I love my administration, you know, but it's just, 
um, difficult when you're fighting a community in that way, you know, and we were talking about on Friday, we had mandatory equity training. And I said, you know, and they were talking about having these parent information series to talk to the community and get them involved. And I said, yeah, that's great. However, we have to look at ourselves because if I'm the only black classroom teacher in the school, who are we to point a finger and say, well, you have to diversify and you have to accept <laughs> everybody and you have to build this community and, and accept multiple viewpoints and perspectives. Like we have to practice what we preach also. Mm-hmm. So until we do something with our hiring practices, you know, how much change can we really expect to happen? Um, so really with the curriculum writing, um, I've kind of been on my own, which is, you know, it's tough because, you know, when you sit with teachers, like we're doing right now, like so many things and get so many ideas and, you know, you feel inspired. And, um, and so I've been kind of on my own. So I've really been taking just a topic. Okay. Leadership. What do they know about being a leader already? How can I connect them? And, And what's been really, um, I guess my starting point is what is my bell ringer for each day? Cause I think your bell ringer sets the tone for the day. Mm-hmm. Um, that has to be good. You have to grip them and at their level. Um, so finding clips and songs and prompts and, you know, all of these different types of things, because the course is for all ninth graders, regardless of level, they're all mixed in together, um, as ninth graders and they all have to take this course. Um, and so I, I think a lot about how I can connect with them at the very beginning of the lesson to hook them and kind of Jedi mind trick them into, you know, <laughs> teaching something. Like I just found um, a clip from Back to the Future um, and, and I'm using that to kind of talk about issues of power, you know, who's in power and how do they execute that power and, you know, why and how and what do we do? You know, how do we respond to uh, people who are in power when they don't do the right thing? And, you know, so it's really been tough, but it's also been good. It's just that I think for the first time as I'm putting this curriculum together, I am learning so much as the world is burning right now about things that I just like, I did not know. I mean, and trying to (laughs) teach kids when I'm still learning, or I thought I knew what (laughs) cultural intelligence was and how to best help them to see the significance and importance of that. But did I really? you know, and how deeply rooted are these issues of race, you know, and the people who write the textbooks. And yeah, I mean, oh my gosh, like it is just so overwhelming. Um, So I, I start with those topics and then, you know, your favorite Amanda, essential questions, right? Those essential <laughs> questions, Rock. Um, mm-hmm. And they're so good because it's just a simple way to bring them back to why are we doing this? And for kids, it's always about the why, like what's in it for me? Mm-hmm. And if they know they're answering that question, then that gives them a foundation, um, yeah. leads them back home. And so I, I really, um, to get back to, I think the question you asked me, <laughs> um, to just take the topics like community building, leadership, um, and cultural intelligence, helping them to be stakeholders in their community, locally, nationally, globally. For every lesson that I create, I always have some type of global connection or a way to differentiate the lesson to make sure that we are incorporating that global component. Um, and it's been so cool. fun, but overwhelming to write right now as I'm on a learning curve myself. And I, I hope couldn't. I answered it. I hope I answered the question. Yeah, yeah you absolutely. I'm okay, sitting okay. here. I don't okay. know if you can see because we're all for our listeners. We're all on a Zoom. Like I'm writing all of these furious notes that I'm going to bring up 
to like department chairs to be like, hey, what about a global citizenship course for all ninth graders? What do you guys, I just thought of that. What do you guys, it's, <laughs> I just right. think it's such a great, like what a great foundation to set as students enter high school right. to set yeah. them on the right path of critical thinking and seeing global perspectives yeah. and being able to open up the why of school and academics. Exactly. So cool. So it'll be nice to see the growth. Yeah. Yeah. Traditionally, I've seen my kids need a a healthy dose of, there are other ways of doing things other than the one way you've learned growing (laughs) up. Full stop. (laughs) Shake, shake. Like, hey. Yeah. All right. Exactly. I mean, they just, and I think what's cool about this generation is that they are more, um, knowledgeable of their positionality, like of who they are and yeah. more willing to share it, I think, than we were, because I feel like when I was growing up, anything different, you kind of just kept to yourself or you tried not to appear as being different because, you know, you're shunned, whatever. But I think kids now are more vocal and knowledgeable about who they are. And it's cool. So this course, you know, from the big my early lessons is kind of celebrating that. Who are you? What does your cultural background bring to this classroom? And, you know, what can you bring to um, the solutions to real world issues because of your positionality and what you've experienced? Like you are knowledgeable on this topic. You know what it feels like to X. So how do we get to a point where we can solve this type of problem for everybody? And what does this look like, you know, globally and and how people deal with the same issue? So it's pretty cool to write. It's just been overwhelming when I'm, I'm learning as yeah. I'm going and the things That's I thought it. I knew and knew how to teach well, like maybe I didn't, you know, there's some other perspectives I need to throw in here and mm-hmm. some other thoughts. So, and the humility that that takes too, to be able to be like, I don't know what I don't know. So I'm going to try and find out now. <laughs> like, All right, let me research. Yeah. That. It's just good. It's yeah. You sound like such an amazing, can I be in your class? I know. <laughs> I have, I have a master's there. degree. Can I come take AP capstone with you? <laughs> I'm sure some of my students would trade happily with you. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> Thank you. This has been absolutely delightful. Yeah. Like, Aww. Thank you so much for talking to us today, Iris. I like, I mean, I know we could keep going because we're three passionate educators talking and just the ideas that come out of that, like you were just saying, it's just, it's infectious in such a good way. (laughs) Maybe I should watch the word infectious, right? Um, Just a little bit. (laughs) Who's listening? (laughs) (laughs) Just a little levity for us (laughs) when the world is on fire. Um, but no, I can't, I cannot express enough how appreciative we are and how just lovely this has been. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Well, thank you. I'm happy to, you know, have this conversation and, you know, talk about so many things and, you know, I don't know who talks to teachers anymore. We haven't talked to teachers for a while for real. Um, and for so real. it's been really refreshing. So thank you for having me. Iris, before we go, because once again, this has been just wonderful. Will you please tell our audience where they can find and connect with you and follow along with your amazing global citizenship course as it develops? Where can we find you? I'm just Ms. Crankfield on Instagram. That's it. I deleted my Facebook so I can continue to like my friends. I get it. Um, <laughs> but Instagram has been great for the teacher community. So just Ms. Ms. Crankfield. 
on Instagram. All right. And we will absolutely have you linked in our show notes. And I just can't say thank you enough. Oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure, ladies. Oh, good talking to you, Iris. We'll we'll see you around the gram. Yes. Take care. All right. Okay. Bye, Bye, Iris. Bye. Bye.